0: join our hearts together now in prayer. Father God, it has been a good and a glorious week, a week filled with friends and babies and satisfying work. A week graced with good food and good company and good houses and good conversation. We met with you this week, Lord, during times of study, during times of prayer, times with sisters and brothers in Christ whose very presence with us reminds us of your presence. It has been a good and a glorious week, Lord. You kept us in your protective care. You graced us with unexpected blessings. You showed up time and again to remind us that we are not alone. And for these and for other favors, we turn to you this morning and we give you thanks. But Father God, it has also been a hard and a trying week. A week filled with disappointment and emptiness. A week frustrated by unmet expectations and unkept promises. A week where we labored without seeing the purpose or the fruit. And it seems that at times you were nowhere to be found. Our prayers hit the ceiling and bounced back. Our Bible studies were dry and grating. It has been a hard and a trying week, Lord, burdened and unsatisfied and lonely. And for these and for many other cares, we turn to you and we ask your help. We pray that you daily remind us of who we are. Adopted and redeemed children, loved by you, united with Christ through faith and baptism. Joint heirs with Jesus and future citizens of the new Jerusalem. Remind us daily of who we are. We pray that living into our true identity, the identity that you give us, not that the world gives us, that we might live lives that are humble and productive and purposeful and given over to your glory. We pray for the people that you've brought into our lives to care about, to think about, to worry about. There are many who are near and dear to us who are facing troubles this week. And so hear us now as we pray for them. We pray for our country, for our communities. We ask that as citizens and members of our communities that we might live God-honoring lives in ways that are governed by truth and compassion. On this Memorial Day weekend, when we pause and remember those who have died in the cause of liberty, we pray that you would make our country strong and free. We pray that you would protect us from all enemies, internal and external. We pray that you would shield the men and women in uniform who defend us. We pray that you would bring us peace and that you would bring these soldiers home to their families. We pray for the church around the globe. We pray for Christians who fear for their lives because of their faith. We pray for Pastor Andrew Brunson, and we ask that you would release him from prison in Turkey, and we pray that his witness to the people of Turkey, whom he has served for more than 30 years, might not be sullied by the lies of politicians. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. We pray for those who are outside the church, for those who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We pray that in your mercy you would soften their hearts and turn their heads toward you. Draw them to yourself. We pray at the command of Jesus, and we pray in the name of Jesus, and we join our voices together and pray as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, This week I'm uh, happy that I can offer you a guaranteed plan to receive God's blessing. Not every week I can do that, but this week I can. If you follow the plan that I lay out in this sermon, I guarantee that you will be blessed. The plan I'm talking about is very simple. Jesus himself is the author of this plan. He says in John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And that's as good a guarantee as we can get these days straight from the lips of Jesus. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So this morning, we're going to dig into knowing these things that Jesus is talking about. And then in the coming week, beginning Well, I guess around noon, we're going to get busy doing them. And come next Sunday, you all will be blessed people. That's the plan. So let's turn to our text this morning from John chapter 13 and dig into what the Bible says. With our reading this morning, we're going to enter into a new section of the Gospel of John. Chapters 13 through chapter 17, five chapters altogether, are taken up with what's called the farewell discourse. This is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples and it takes place either on the night of the Last Supper or on the night before. There's some disagreement among scholars about this issue, but we don't need to let that bother us because it has no bearing on the meaning of the passage. In this sermon series, I'm going to assume that the farewell address takes place on the night of the Last Supper. Following the farewell address, in chapters 18 and 19, we have the passion of Christ, the story of his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. And then in the final two chapters of the gospel, we have uh, the stories of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. So we really are in the last movements of the gospel of John, We've spent 12 chapters covering the first 33 years of the life of Jesus, and we're going to spend the next nine chapters covering the last few days of Jesus. Today's reading uh, is the first chunk of this closing section of the Gospel of John. So if you will uh, hear the Word of God as I read it now from uh, John 13, verses 1 through 21. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, That you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are God and we are creatures. Your word is truth and our word is mere conjecture. We pray this morning that you would impress upon us the holiness of your being, the truth of your word. I pray that we might approach you with reverence and meekness, that we might attend to your word with anticipation and receptivity. Teach us this day the things that we need to know. This we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. So, in verse twelve, Jesus. Uh, in verse twelve, we read, um, when Jesus finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Then he asked his disciples, "Do you understand what I have done for you?" Some of you remember the film, The Life of Brian, a life, uh, a film made by the British comedy troupe Monty Python. It's a parody of the life of Jesus. There's a scene in which Brian, who is the Jesus figure, is running away from his would-be followers. And as he's running along, he loses his shoe. And when the would-be, the gaggle of would-be followers sees the shoe in the dusty road, one of them cries out, He's given us a sign. And one fellow interprets the sign to mean that the followers of Brian will only wear one shoe. But another follower disagrees and he interprets the sign to mean that the followers of Brian will be gatherers of shoes. And so we have the first denominational split in the history of the church, the one-shoe Brianites and the shoe-gathering Brianites. The joke, of course is that it is silly to interpret every action or every object as a sign, as having a deeper meaning beyond itself. Not everything is a sign. Some things are just what they are. But in the case of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, Jesus makes it perfectly clear that he is offering a sign. A sign which points to something beyond itself. Jesus washes the feet of 12 men at a dinner table. And then he asks, do you understand what I did for you? The foot washing points to something beyond the foot washing. And Jesus says in verse 17, if you know these things, the things that he wants us to understand. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So not only is there understanding and knowledge at stake, the foot washing points of some meaning beyond itself, but acting on this knowledge causes us to be blessed. Jesus gives us a practical incentive to correctly interpret his sign of foot washing Because if we interpret it rightly and then act on that information, we will enjoy special favor from God. And who doesn't want to be blessed? So what is the correct interpretation of the foot washing? And how should we act upon that knowledge once we have it? The short answer is given to us in verse 15 where Jesus issues a command. You ought to wash one another's feet. Now, Jesus could have simply given this as a verbal command. Wash one another's feet and skip the whole business of washing feet of 12 disciples at the Last Supper. But by dramatically acting out this command, by presenting himself as an example of the fulfillment of this command, Jesus lays tremendous emphasis on this one command. It's important to him so important that he creates a theatrical situation in which the command is brought to life in a memorable way now of course jesus often taught by example he lived the kind of ways that he wanted his followers to live he prayed regularly He studied scripture fervently. He was attentive to the needs of the people that he met. He turned the other cheek. He loved his enemies. He didn't just talk the talk. He also walked the walk. Now, if you will indulge me, I would like to talk for about one minute about classical rhetoric and logic. Well, maybe three minutes. Jesus uses one logical and one rhetorical device in the section that we read. Both of them you've seen a hundred times in other places in Scripture, but I want to give you names for these devices so that you can see the line of argument that Jesus is using. The logical device is the argumentum a fortiori. The argumentum a fortiori, which is Latin for argument from the stronger, argument from the stronger case to the weaker case. When Jesus says in verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He is using an argumentum a fortiori. The logic is this. If it's good enough for me, the high and mighty teacher to wash the feet of my lowly students. How much more sense does it make for my lowly students to wash each other's feet? That's the argument, argumentum a fortiori, and you'll see this argument all over Scripture. So that's the arg- that's the the argument. Now, the rhetorical device is called ducky, or synecdoche. Synecdoche is a literary or a rhetorical device in which the part of something represents the whole of something. If you call someone a breadwinner, you don't mean that they only win bread. You mean that they win bread and butter and bacon and beans and a whole lot of other stuff as well. The part, the bread, stands for the whole, the total support of a family. In our reading this morning, the washing of the feet is part which stands for all kinds of services that we might render to one another. Frankly, I don't need anyone to wash my feet, but if you wanted to help me, you could do my filing. I don't know if you've ever seen my desk. It's just piled with papers. So when Jesus uh, uses these two devices, we have we have the argumentum Uh, a fortiori, and we have the synecdoche. And then Jesus embeds an argumentum a fortiori inside of the synecdoche. Oh yes, a logical device inside of a rhetorical device. Remember that the argumentum a fortiori is an argument from the stronger case to the weaker case. And so the argument is, if you should wash people's disgusting, nasty feet... Well, then you should also perform other less humbling tasks like doing their filing. Okay, that's enough about logic and rhetoric. I'm telling you, come over to my office. Okay, you could help me out just to pull the dumpster up. Okay, we'll just clean it right out. So I promised at the beginning of this sermon that I would give you a guaranteed plan to receive God's blessing and now I'm going to deliver on that promise. Jesus said, if you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. So let's review what it is that we are to know, and then next week we're going to get busy doing them. Thing to know, number one. Disciples of Jesus imitate Jesus. And Jesus serves people. He serves them even in humbling, humiliating, disgusting ways like washing their feet. That means disciples of Jesus serve people. And we serve them even in humbling, humiliating, disgusting ways like washing their feet. Service is part of the Christian life. It is part of our imitation of our master. Thing to know, number two. Jesus' example and teaching about washing feet is focused on serving those inside the church. Yes, Jesus leads us to serve others outside the church, but this teaching in John chapter 13 is about our special obligation toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. These are the future bishops and apostles of the church. Yes, we serve everyone, but we especially serve those in the church. The Apostle Paul strikes the exact same note in Galatians 6.10 where he writes, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. Thing to know, number three. We wash the feet even of our enemies. We wash the feet even of our enemies. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him and still Jesus washes Judas's feet. Wash the feet of your enemies. It's a tough policy, but it's very powerful and subversive. It's a policy that sets the church apart from pagans. You all know the passage in Luke six twenty seven and 28 where Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. But the payoff comes in verse 30, 32 and verse 30, 33 where we read, if you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is it to you? Even the sinners do the same. In other words, if you're looking for credit, and remember I promised you a plan that will bring you God's blessing. If you're looking for credit, that credit begins right about where you start loving and blessing enemies. If you love and bless your friends, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But even pagans do that. The credit begins when we start loving and blessing our enemies. Okay, here are the three things to know. There is a quiz. There'll be a little take-home quiz. The back of the sanctuary, all right? Number one, imitate Jesus by serving others. Number two, serve especially those inside the church. Number three, but also serve your enemies. So back to the guaranteed plan to receive God's blessing. Here's how we get God's blessing. We serve people, especially those in the church, but even our enemies. And we serve them in all kinds of ways, even disgusting, dirty ways. And when we do that, blessings, God's blessings will come our way guaranteed. Now maybe you're thinking, no thanks, I'd rather not have God's blessing if I have to wash the dirty, disgusting feet of my enemies. If that's you, then the rest of the sermon is not for you. And You can take a little nap. We'll wake you up for the closing hymn. But if you're still on board with the plan, if you still want to imitate Jesus, if you want to be showered with God's blessings, then let's get real practical and think about how to do this. I see two steps to being blessed. Being blessed, step number one. Go looking for opportunities to serve the body. You won't serve people if you don't go looking for opportunities to serve. Ask Susan Clark, who runs the children's ministry here at HVPC. Hey Susan, do you need any help in the new nursery? Hey Susan, can I volunteer in the Burning Bush Children's ministry? Hey Susan, is there anything that I could buy for your program? Ask Deb Jack, who heads up the deacons here at HVPC. Hey Deb, You guys need any help running the welcome table? Hey, Deb, can I bring a dish to the next deacon's dinner? Hey, Deb, do you know anybody who needs a little financial help right now? Ask Rich Good, who has been given the job of running, I think we're calling it the Growth and Expansion Committee. It's a building committee. It's an ad hoc committee. That's going to help us somehow squeeze more usable space for the church and the school out of the existing buildings. Ask them, hey Rich, can I serve on your committee? Hey Rich, can I run errands for your committee? Hey Rich, can I give you a big check for your building project? Ask Susan Kaler, who runs our school. Hey Susan, how can I help? Hey Susan, can I volunteer for the VCS school board? Hey Susan, do you have any families in your school who need help with tuition? Last week I got a little email from Karen Moore, who is organizing meals for the Bowman family. Sharon Bowman gave birth. I'm, those of you who are on Facebook saw this, this enormous child, 10 pounds, 5 ounces at birth. Whoo. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful toddler, okay. Um, <coughs> Baby Jack. Okay, baby Jack was born. It's about two weeks ago now. And so she's at home. She's busy taking care moment by moment the needs. Eric's there. He's the proud papa. He's busy massaging his wife's feet and begging her to forgive him for giving her such a big baby. So Karen Moore is organizing people to bring the Bowman's meals so that they don't have to worry about cooking. It's a wonderful way for the body of Christ here to HPC to serve others within the body in a time of need that service will bless the bowman's mama papa baby but it will also bless you who bring those meals and if you haven't signed up to deliver a meal to the bowman's do it sign up otherwise you'll be missing out on the fun and god will bless you for it so being blessed step number two if Being blessed, step number one, is finding opportunities to serve and then going to it. Being blessed, step number two, I think this is the crucial part. Being blessed, step number two, is just enjoying it. Just enjoying it. Let me explain. Those of you who know me know that I am pretty darn selfish. My instinct is always my comfort My interests, my agenda, I do not naturally enjoy serving other people. But seven years ago, God and my wife, Ava, gave me Amelia Grace Surprise Morrison, who will soon be entering the second grade at Valley Christian School. Mia and I have a number of routines that we enjoy. Every day when I pick her up from school, she asks me, Papa, do you have a treat for me? And almost without exception, I do. On my lunch hour, I'll pick up a donut or a Tootsie Roll or, or a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup for her. Some little something to make the ride home special. And you know what? I love it. It's silly, but I love it. I love her simple pleasure in this little treat. Though I'm doing something for her, I feel completely blessed... ...by what I'm doing. In the evenings, when dinner is over and the homework is done, Mia will settle into her room upstairs and like clockwork, she will call down to the stairs where I'm sitting and she'll say, Papa, can you bring me something? And I'll say, what do you like? And she'll say, I don't know, what do you have? And I'll rattle off of a few of her favorite foods. Well, we've got cheese and we've got beans and we've got pickles and we've got olives and we've got strawberries. And she'll say... I'll have some strawberries and cheese and a chocolate milk. And two minutes later, I'll come up with a little tray. And you know what? I love it. It's silly, but I enjoy her simple pleasure in having her father bring her a snack in the comfort of her little room. Some people think I'm spoiling her. I remind them of what Jesus said. What father among you, if his child asks for a fish, gives him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion? If the girl asks for strawberries and cheese and chocolate milk, that's what she's getting. And I do that for three reasons. Number one, because I want her to trust her earthly father so that she'll be able to trust her heavenly father. A lot of people have trouble with Father God Almighty because they've had trouble with their earthly fathers. Number two, I do it because I need the discipline of serving someone beside myself. It's good for me to like get up from what I'm doing and do a little something for her. I need that. And number three, I do it because her pleasure is my pleasure and I'm blessed by her simple delight. Being blessed, step number one, find an opportunity to serve and then go do it. Being blessed, step number two, enjoy that. There is an enormous blessing even in small services we do for other people. Ask anyone who has ever participated in a church work day. Ask Bob Schreiner, who I saw yesterday out there working on the flowers uh, out in front of the church. Ask anyone who's done a short-term mission project or a deacon-driven appeal for help like cleaning out Gail Marin's warehouse. These kinds of things are fun. They are energizing. They are encouraging. They are the kinds of work that we were made for. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's not just a Bible truism. It is a fact of concrete reality. If we only serve ourselves, if we are stingy with our time and our money and our attention, then we miss out on a blessing. And I don't want you to do that. So here's the plan. This week, we're going to serve somebody. We're going to wash somebody's feet. Maybe right now you know someone who needs a little help from you. Great. Go to it. Do that this weekend. Prepare to be blessed. Maybe you don't know someone who needs help. In that case, pray about it. Ask God to send you someone who needs help. And then expect that person to show up. You can also ask around. Ask Deb Jack. If the deacons know of anyone who needs help, ask our ministry staff, Susan Kaler and... Susan Clark and Hannah Kirsten, if if they need help. And if you're in a real jam, you can call me, but don't call me after seven because I'll be carrying strawberries and cheese upstairs. Jesus is very clear in this passage. You ought to wash one another's feet. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you who do them. So let's have a blessed week. Let us pray. Father God Almighty, we love you and we adore you and we thank you for the words of Scripture. Lord, I pray that you give us the faith to receive this word as the word of God. And I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that our hands and our arms and our bodies would be in motion this week doing what it is that we believe. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.